This is Live Well Talk on New Clinician Spotlight. I'm Dr. Dustin Arnold, Chief Medical Officer at Union Point Health, St. Luke's Hospital. Today's episode, another installment of the New Provider Series, and joining me today is Heather Hazelwood, a nurse practitioner at Union Point Clinic, Endocrinology, Diabetes Care, and Healthy Living Clinic. Uh, that's that's a long title. <laughs> you, I think you need to work on shortening that over there, Heather. Uh, Heather, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Tell us, tell us a little bit about yourself. Where are you from? Yeah. What no, brought you here? Yeah. Originally from California, born and raised there. Um, spent uh, kind of after my time in California. We actually, my family spent two years in Hungary. Um, coming home from Hungary, we knew we didn't want to go back to California. So kind of ended up here. Um, nowhere I ever expected to be. Um, the closest family I have um, prior to moving here was uh, St. Joseph, Missouri. So, um, but yeah, just really enjoying it. We've been here about six and a half years now. Absolutely love it. Now, why were you in Hungary? <laughs> um, my husband was going to college over there. So really? Yeah. Yeah. I spent two years there. Wow. How was that? I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I guess it's a beautiful country. I've had people tell me that like Budapest yes. is just beautiful. It really is. You know, unless you go there, you don't realize Budapest really is um, kind of a central point um, in Europe. There are a lot of flights will fly into Budapest to oh, fly really? out. So jumping, I know my husband and I went to um, Israel. It was super inexpensive to fly there. Uh, took the train to Vienna, super inexpensive. But yeah, absolutely loved it. Love the culture. Love the um, architecture. Just the, the age of the country is just wonderful yeah yeah that i know the hungarian language is pretty complicated oh. isn't it yeah um, i think it it fluctuates that and finish between like the first and second most yeah. difficult language to learn yeah yeah because uh like they don't have male female and finish in, in hungarian i believe it's yeah i well, saw that on some yeah. something about gender you know and they got mm -hmm. into that so that's kind of interesting and the words are very very specific so you can have very long words that just are more detailed than like the english language gets yeah, yeah, it's kind of like German. You just keep adding to yeah. the words, you mm -hmm. know, horse with stripes, yes. black, you know, yeah. for zebra, et cetera. Yeah. But uh, so that you have one Iowa baby, two California babies. That's correct. Okay. Yeah. All right. That's it. Um, and where'd you go to undergrad at? Yeah. So long, long history. So I started actually as a nursing assistant um, while I was doing that was going for my associate's degree. Um, I did that in California at local community college. Um, after several years of working as a nurse in the floor, wanted to go back for my bachelor's. Um, actually, at that time, I was working in labor and delivery. And my goal was to become a nurse practitioner, a midwife, um, kind of took some time off, did my bachelor's. Um, as soon as I graduated my bachelor's is when my husband and us moved to Hungary. So coming back here, I knew I needed to kind of get my feet back wet again. After a couple of years, I um, really kind of felt that desire to go back to school. Um, I think, you know, working in the hospital, especially labor and delivery, I saw patients, you know, working a 12 hour shift, maybe two or three days in a row. And then I would never see them again. Or I saw them with the next time they had a baby. Yeah, yeah. I really missed that. Like, what happened? <laughs> and I really got that craving. Um, when we first moved to Cedar Rapids, I worked at a family practice clinic. Okay. Um, and really, I loved that. I loved seeing the continuation of care with that patient. You got to know their family. You got to know what was going on with them. And I just absolutely fell in love with then outpatient providers and that kind of care. Yeah, I uh, used to, uh, when I was in private practice back before 2005, um, I had a very, very busy practice. I always say they, the patients just come to talk to my nurses. They're, I'm like kind of an afterthought, you mm -hmm. know, the, the, the visit's almost over. They're like, yeah, yeah, whatever you, <laughs> you know, so that is right. You do build quite a, uh, uh, relationship uh, ongoing and, and that's a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, 
your ARMP degree is from where? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. So um, I actually went back. So Spring Arbor University, it's in uh, Spring Arbor, Michigan. So I was able to do that online while working still. No. Yeah. Um, Spring. Where's that at in Michigan? It's so it's about an hour west of Detroit. Okay, and I've seen that name before. I did an internship in Detroit. So uh-huh. I'm kind of familiar with the geography over there. Yeah. Um, why, how did you end up with diabetes at the Diabetes Center? Yeah, so actually I've worked in the Diabetes and uh, Kidney Center for the last, uh, I think, four years, four and a half years now, um, working there as a nurse. Um, fell in love with, I worked with Dr. Saxena originally, um, fell in love with uh, kidneys, and she she does a lot of um, teaching and education with diabetes also because of the connection with the kidneys and diabetes. Um, and then I started floating up to endocrinology. Um, at the time, they were short-staffed, so I was able to kind of fill in and really just kind of grew my my love and interest in diabetes at that point. Um, personally, uh, my grandfather had diabetes, so I can remember him, you know, recording his blood sugars, yeah. giving his his insulins. Um, so kind of the combination of just the family history there and just the love of, I love to teach, so diabetes is a great fit. Yeah, it, I, I'm always just amazed when you go back and, and you think about diabetes. One is like when I went to medical school, I think it was like a 50% of new diabetics presented with diabetic ketoacidosis. Mm-hmm. So that, that one that was, you know, being diagnosed way too late and end up in the intensive care unit. Mm-hmm. But then you read like literature around the turn of the century where these people just died. Mm-hmm. You know, they just yeah. died because yeah. their pancreas gave out, they died mm-hmm. um, until the discovery of uh, insulin in late 1920s, maybe early 1930s, somewhere in there. Yeah. Uh, yeah so that's, and there's been a lot changing in diabetes. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of hard to keep track of the new medications like mm-hmm. it used to be mm-hmm. uh, and the new monitors and yeah. uh, the technology. I used to put in pacemakers. And at that time, Medtronic was looking at recording blood glucoses mm-hmm. through the pacemaker, you know, yeah. kind of doing trials that way. Yeah. So you, you did see this coming. It's only going to get, uh, uh, more innovation is on the horizon, like everything else exponentially. Um, So tell me, tell me how, what what is your role going to be over it? I mean, you're going to manage diabetes, but just Mm kind of give me an overview of what your role is going to be at the, uh, let me, Unipoint Clinic Endocrinology Diabetes Care and Healthy Living Clinic. Yeah. So I'm going to be working with both Dr. Um, Rao and Dr. Lurie. Um, they will kind of establish that care uh, with the patient. Um, and then as time goes on, I will start seeing those patients and help kind of manage, um, bring those interventions to the patients, you know, really kind of fine tune the care that they receive. Um, and hopefully in the, in the goal to become more stable with their diabetic control. It, it, that that's so much of diabetes compared to other disease, in my opinion, is education and time spent with a patient, explaining mm-hmm. things and and, mm-hmm. and that you know what I mean. I mean, absolutely. I, I'm not saying you, you, patient education is not beneficial for heart failure or COPD by any measure. I'm not saying that, but definitely diabetes. Mm-hmm. The more time you can spend with the patient, the more they understand it, the better they do. Absolutely. I always said if I wasn't a nurse, I would have been a teacher. Uh, so I love that teaching. So for me to go into working with patients with diabetes, it, it's a great combination of my skills. I love to teach. I, I've told recently, I've been talking to patients, you know, with diabetes, you don't know what's going on in your body. You just have to trust, you know. I I can't look at you and say, oh, you've got diabetes. It's all internal until you have really terrible complications down the road. And the goal with our our treatment is to prevent those complications from occurring. Well, like we said earlier in the podcast, you know, that used to be people were presenting very, very ill 
um, you know, prior to routine angiography, people, what, 40% of people with heart disease presented with death, mm-hmm. you know, and yeah. so uh, times have changed yeah. and, 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 and uh, for the better on many levels. Mm-hmm. Um, it, particularly diabetic, what, it, aren't it, isn't the average like type two at least that they, they have it for up to five years prior to being diagnosed, something like yeah, that. Yeah, I know yeah. there's a delay. I don't know mm-hmm. exactly what it is. Yeah, absolutely. It is. There is a delay before your blood sugars start to increase. Um, and actually, it's kind of interesting. Um, just recently, kind of learning more of this is, um, you know, the changes are not the that morning blood sugar like we tend to get with, uh, you know, screening, but they're actually the after your meal blood sugar spikes that you see early into diabetes that you know you don't catch with that normal screening. Um, ideally, you know, we're doing those annual screenings to catch it soon so that we can prevent those complications yeah. prior to well a1c's came diabetes complication control trials 1993 so a1c's were pretty routine then and i'm a medical student in 93 but i i can remember patients that would have a fasting blood sugar of 100 mm-hmm. but then have an a1c of 8.5 and what you'd figure out is yeah they were 100 to start the day Mm-hmm. Went up to two or 200, 250 right. and just stayed there the rest of the day and then came down as they slept. So mm-hmm. you're absolutely right that that postprandal mm-hmm. uh, blood sugar is very important. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Which makes it kind of complicated in the hospital, you know, <laughs> sliding scale prior. I mean, yes. that's always been, been uh, uh, a concern. I, I, I can imagine that t- as technology's improved, uh, that's influenced what you see. But uh, insulin pumps, I remember this probably. 1999, I was in practice. It was a referral-based internal medicine practice, but I had a patient and she's, she wanted me an insulin pump. And I said, well, I don't know anything about insulin pumps. And she said, well, let's learn together. And I said, all right. You know, we started a pumpers club and it was really neat. Now, I, I have been away from that for a while, but, but tell us, what is the role of an insulin pump uh, in the management of diabetes in 2022? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, for a type 1 diabetic, an insulin pump is definitely a... Um, beneficial um, technology piece to incorporate in. Um, With the pumps, instead of doing multiple injections of insulin daily, they're getting a continuous flow of insulin throughout the day that we can fine tune to that person's specific um, eating habits, their body even. So um, the pump is constantly administering a basal dose, kind of that background insulin dose. Um, And then as they eat, it's important, the biggest problem uh, or thing for patients to know with the insulin pump is that it's important to input in, I'm eating now. Because a pump isn't smart enough to know. Not yet. Not yet. yet. I think they're working on it. But but right now, the pump isn't smart enough to know, oh, you just ate. I need to give extra insulin. So that's kind of the biggest teaching point with with they think the pumps for patients is every time I eat, I need to tell the, the pump I ate so many carbs so that the pump can do the calculation for you figure out how much extra additional bolus insulin that that patient needs at that particular moment. And I found it interesting when we started to investigate that, that at that time, uh, the, the pump really favored the individual that had too good a control was having lows all the time. Yeah. Not the person that was uncontrolled, mm-hmm. you know, and high all the time. Yeah. It really helped those that were just were doing such a good job that their margin for error was so small. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And uh, hypoglycemia, you know, I, I've, uh, uh, I take I have diabetes and take insulin. And I've had hypoglycemic spell, and it really made me appreciate just how you feel impending doom. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's high blood sugar really doesn't, you know, I, I think over time you get acclimated to mm-hmm. it, but 
a low blood sugar, I mean, you, you, there is a sense of impending doom. And yeah. it's amazing how you can go from that to feeling fine yes. just with a glass of orange juice. You know? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Lows scare people. Absolutely. They? And they uh, truly, they should, you know. Right, I, right. You, you know, can die. Absolutely. That's a, you know, you can die faster from a low blood sugar than a high blood sugar. Absolutely. You know, yeah. those highs are going to cause complications long term, but those lows, that'll kill you right now. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. It's scary stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they, uh, I was watching on, uh, television the killer cure and it was about uh, electroshock therapy for depression but they started by giving people normal people insulin to induce a hypoglycemic seizure wow you know and this is like in the 1940s and they're like you know half of them died from it you know <laughs> yeah. but the other half got better yeah well you know great you know so so glad glad we've advanced past that <laughs> yeah that, absolutely that sort of thing. if you could tell patients one thing about diabetes and your approach to it, what would you tell them? You, you mentioned teaching, mm-hmm. you know, and that's, yeah. that's important. Yeah. Uh, but tell yeah. me what, what, what would you say? Yeah. I like to tell patients, you know, with diabetes, there's so many myths out there that, you know, from a long time ago, maybe lots of lack of education, but it's not about cutting out the foods that you love. You can still enjoy dessert, but it's in moderation. You know, instead of, can we have dessert every night? Can we cut back to once or twice a week? You don't need to cut things out of your life just because you have diabetes. You can still live. And I think that's, that's a very common myth that even still is out there in the community of, oh my gosh, I can't eat what I want now. And it's just absolutely not true. Yeah. And particularly Midwest uh, mm-hmm. diet is a lot of starches, a lot of, yeah. a lot of carbs from, uh, uh, you know, the uh, potatoes and, mm-hmm. and corn, of course, and this time of year corn. Yeah. Um, what, what, what do you do for fun? I mean, we've talked about your how you got here, mm-hmm. why you do it, but what, yeah. what do you do for fun? Yeah. Well, my children take up a lot of my time. Yeah, they're at the ages they do, don't <laughs> they? They do. So when I do have that free time, um, I love to read. Um, I actually, I'm kind of an old-fashioned kind of person. I love knitting, um, and I've kind of passed that on to one or two of my daughters now. Um, I love baking. It's funny, I'm working in the Diabetes Center, but I love baking. Um, one of my early, it's kind of funny, right before I was actually accepted into nursing school, this, there was a impacted program. So the likelihood of me getting in was very low. Um, I actually was going to go to a culinary academy um, in San Francisco. So another life, another time. But um, I do when the kids aren't right on me trying to find out when dinner is going to be ready. I enjoy cooking also. Well, I think you and I share some interest. Um, you, I like eating. <laughs> and so therefore you bake yeah. and then I like to eat. Yeah. So that's that is those two do go together, don't they? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes too much. Well, Heather, thank you for joining me. It's fun to get to know you. I always enjoy these episodes, and I know the listeners do too. We get feedback uh, according accordingly. Once again, this is Heather Hazelwood, a nurse practitioner at Union Point Clinic, endocrinology, diabetes care, and healthy living clinic. Uh, if you are interested in scheduling an appointment with Heather, please call 319-298-2200. That's 319-298-2200. As always, you can visit uniopoint.org, which will give you all the information you ever wanted to know about diabetes. Thank you for listening to Live Well Talk On. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your family, friends, neighbors, strangers about our podcast. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, or wherever you get your podcast. Until next time, be well.